Uh, Ren Chin trained at uh, San Francisco Zen Center for just the right number of years. I don't know what those were. <laughs> Seven. And uh, she she was uh, she was uh, lay ordained by uh, I believe Steve Stuckey and then priest ordained by um, Zinke Blanche Hartman, who sadly has left us, as has Steve. Um, and she received a Dharma transmission from uh, Steve Stuckey, Myogen Steve Stuckey, a good old friend of mine. Um, and uh, she, as was noted, she's an author, and uh, she's written on uh, her time in the monastery and uh, her about her work in uh, chaplaincy. And uh, currently, maybe really currently, imminently, there's going to be a book uh, of, oh, it that might be it, a book about Myogen. Um uh, the uh, head fire monk at Tassajara, well, one of his great uh, accomplishments was actually saving Tassajara from burning in a terrible fire, um, I don't know, what, 10 years ago now or something like that, but uh, more. But Myogen uh, was quite a guy, and uh, so there's a, a book uh, recounting some episodes from his life, and I'm really looking forward to uh, reading it. And... Um, Renshin, we 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 start uh, with a, a stop on the little bell, and uh, we chant in here in the zendo. We chant the uh, before lecture chant, and we'll chant out at the end with the uh, refuges. Uh, so we'll um, do the first one of those right now. Good evening, Valley Stream. I'm so happy to see you. I was there in person about a year ago. I moved to Eureka um, March of last year. So I did an interview with Barry. I did one of the first Simplicities in interviews. And as a result of that, I was asked to come and give the talk at Valley Stream. So I pulled up Google Maps. And I said, look, Sacramento is only about three inches away from Eureka. So I drove down that day and I learned how that's a long drive. But it was so great to be there in person with you. And I'm glad I did that. So I'm familiar with where you are because we're because I didn't do that drive again this year. And so we're back on Zoom and it's going really well in Eureka. It's a beautiful summer up here. I had a, <clears throat> I prepared a very good talk. <laughs> I, I, you would have loved it. <laughs> I was going to tell you all about suffering and the end of suffering, the Eightfold Path. I looked that up so I could get all the words right. I was going to talk about Suzuki Roshi telling us, if you want to stop suffering, stop creating duality, this is very important. 
I talk about it all the time. Suzuki Roshi saying, if you want to stop suffering, you have to understand transience. So I had that talk. I don't write out my talks, but I had it. And then this other talk appeared at about five o'clock. And I'm so happy because what I'm going to talk about is my teacher, Steve Stuckey. I have been working on, I have, I, oh, I had the good fortune to be in very close relationship with a great Zen teacher, a true Zen master for 20 years. He died. It's just, it's just this time of year that he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer 10 years ago. And he died on December 31st of that same year, 10 years ago. So I have certain stories, certain memories that are so important that I use all the time when I'm teaching. And I thought, I meet a lot of people at Zen Center who knew of him, perhaps had an encounter with him, but they, they didn't have time with him. So I thought I would collect these stories for the new students. And then, and then I put out a call to people who knew him for their stories. And that has been so wonderful. And Jim's story is, here's Jim's story. <laughs> so Jim is sitting Sashin at Green Gulch with Norman. And if you've sat Sashin, it's a place like Green Gulch, you know, serious business, complete silence, everybody moving in unison, everybody really following the rules. So Norman's giving the Dharma talk. The door to the Zendo opens. Steve Stuckey, in street clothes, walks into the Zendo, walks over to Norman, whispers in his ear, and leaves. And Norman tells the assembly that Jerry Garcia has died. So Steve was someone who had who understood what was important. And at the end of his little piece, Jim Hare says he knew who he was. And indeed he did. I met him, I think, in 93 or 94. He had a little sitting group in his living room in Mill Valley. His wife and daughters would stay upstairs quiet as little mice. And we would take over the lower part of the house. It was kind of crowded. We were reading Joko Beck. And he seemed like a good guy. I'd been sitting at that point for about five years. And it was important that I remain in a sitting group. Because if I was not in a sitting group, I wouldn't sit at all. And I really, something told me that meditation, Buddhism was going to save me. It was really important. So so here's this guy. He seems nice. I start sitting with him. It wasn't long before he and Lane bought a house in San Rafael and we turned the two-car garage in the backyard into a zendo. And we began sitting three-day sessions in that zendo. When we had a zendo and we began sitting facing the wall 
And we began being silent when we walked in. Everybody who'd been sitting in Mill Valley left. <laughs> but the same number of people arrived. So the people who really didn't like ritual, those were the living room people. And the people who liked, I don't know what we liked. I liked Steve. I made Jukai with him in that Zendo in 96, and he gave me my name, which is Renshin Jiko. He named me Lotus Heart, Boundless Compassion. It's a very nice name. I'd been sitting, oh, sashins at Green Gulch and going to the morning, the Saturday morning talk at City Center. So one day I asked Steve, what do I have to do? Give up everything and move to Tassajara? <laughs> and he said, oh, you might try a non-residential practice period at City Center first. So I did. And, um, and I ghosted him because I got enchanted with Zen Center practice and bedazzled by Blanche. Very soon after that, I did give up everything and go to Tassar with Blanche. And I ordained with Blanche in 03. And it's so wonderful that I asked her if Steve could be the third preceptor. So he was in my ordination ceremony. And um, that was the first time that he'd done that. And she kept the name that he gave me. And that's good fortune. Blanche and I... Blanche and I had trouble, ooh, with a capital T. We could not, we lost each other and we couldn't find each other. So I was, I was, my, my last job at City Center was working in the front office. And that was, they told me, you know, you're, you're out of, you're just, <laughs> this is the last job you're ever going to get here sister, make other plans. So I'm working in the front office and they are electing a new abbot. The elders are, are uh, meeting. And Mel came in the front office and we're making all these jokes, you know, with Mel. Did you do it? Did you, did you figure it out? And Mel came over to my desk and he slapped his hands down and he leaned his face right up next to mine. He says, do you want to know who it is? Do you want to know who it is? I said, well, yeah. And he said, Steve Stuckey. And nobody in the building even knew Steve Stuckey. He hadn't lived at Zen Center for 20 years. But he was coming back. So when Blanche finally did fire me, I was able to uh, take up the teacher-student relationship with Steve again. And boy, did we have a good time. I was his first Shuso at Tassahara. 90 days, close, hard work, watching him, watching him. Teachers talk. They talk to us in Dokusan. They, they talk from the front of the room. But it's the way they behave that's important. It's watching the way they behave. So toward the end of that, we were in the last sashin of the practice period. 
It was the rest period after lunch, and everybody is so exhausted. The place is absolutely silent. <laughs> you get 30 minutes to collapse. You take every one of those minutes. And then the Chousseau cabin where I was staying was it's sort of right in front of the Abbott's cabin. So we're next to our neighbors and there's gravel pathways. Anybody who's been to Tassajara knows crunch, crunch, crunch. So I hear footsteps, crunch, crunch, crunch. So of course I jump off my bed and look out of the window. This woman is going to the Abbott's cabin. Sometimes in a practice period, there's a person who just is having a terrible time and wants everybody to know it. <laughs> a person who spreads their suffering around, and that was this woman. She was always complaining, raising her hand, why do we have to do this? Wah, wah, wah. You know, once in a while, and she was ours. She had left two days earlier. She was so fed up with our shenanigans, she caught a ride with the town trip truck and left. And you do not do that. Once you're there for a practice period, you stay. I was not sad to see her go. I thought, finally, we're going to get a little peace and quiet around here. And here she was. She was back. She went right up and banged on his door. And that's another thing you don't do. You ask his attendant for an appointment. So it's the rest period during Sashin, absolutely quiet. Crunch, 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 bang, bang, bang. I saw Steve open the door. I could see his face. I saw him be surprised. And then he smiled and he opened the door all the way and he invited her in, right? And I asked him later, he didn't know she was coming back. So that's the kind of person he was. I have a, I have a thing on my refrigerator where all the important things are. It's a picture of Thomas Merton, right? The monk, the great monk. And what Thomas Merton said says is, our job is to love others without stopping to judge whether or not they are worthy, right? So that's what I saw in Steve's behavior. In that same practice period, <clears throat> at the end of your Shusou practice period, there's this big terrifying ceremony and you make some statements that you're supposed to memorize so I was supposed to make this apology statement huh <laughs> and one thing about the apology statement you start by thanking and you name the officers not by name but the office and I went to Steve and I said I'm not going to thank that guy you thank them for their help I said he, he, he has never helped me Right. And Steve said, whether you know it or not, he has he has helped you. So I said, OK, and that stayed in. But then as I was continuing to try to memorize this, you're supposed to say, um, gee, I really tried, but I know 
I did a really bad job and I'm sorry and I'm ashamed of myself. The words there, ashamed. And, and I promise I'll try harder. So I said, I'm not saying that. <laughs> For one thing, I tried really hard. I couldn't have tried any harder. I was not lazy. I even quit reading The New Yorker during my She's So Practice period. That's how hard I tried. Plus the word shame. I said, you know, I've done so much work on shame. I'm not. No. Shame is over. So that time he thought about it for a day or two, and he came back and he said, how about, how about if you say, you were humbled by it, right? So I thought, this is great. We are bringing the apology statement into the 21st century. But of course, every she's so sensitive said, oh, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> but Steve didn't make me say that. When we were first, when we were practicing in the garage, I was usually his right-hand person. I managed to be at the front of the line for a lot of things with Steve. <clears throat> so I thought I should get one of those raucous dudes. I thought if I was going to be doing the, if I was in the position, I should have the wardrobe. So I got a raucous dude and made Jukai. We had a three-day session. I don't know if it was right after Jukai or if it was a year later. My challenge had always been anger. I was carrying so much anger and working so hard on suppressing it. An angry woman? No, no. You're never going to get anywhere in this world. So on this particular session, I could not hold that anger down anymore. And I was just... I just had smoke coming out of my ears. I was just, but I held Sashin form. We were silent. I was not telling people what I thought of them with words. So I went into Jokosan with him and I said, Oh, this anger. I'm just so much anger. And Steve said, Yes, other people have noticed it too. And I started crying. I was so embarrassed. And I was so angry at him for saying that. I was so hurt. He should have helped me keep my secret. I cried for hours. I absolutely could not stop crying. Hours. Christine Palmer and I were staying and there was a little building next to the Zendo. Poor Christine. It's, you know, she, Sashin, she needs her sleep. <laughs> and I'm still crying. So I finally figured out what to do. And I went back to the Dokusan room and I pulled off my beautiful new Rakasu and I threw it on his Zafu. Ah. And went back and went to sleep. That'll teach him <laughs> that I'm not angry. <laughs> So the next morning, of course, I'm immediately called in to Dokusan. And he had my Rakasu all folded up. 
and he held it out to me. And he said, please forgive me. I'm a new Zen teacher. I'm just learning. Please take your raucousy back. <laughs> ah. When does a Zen teacher apologize to a student? I like to say he gave, he always gave me enough rope that I could hang myself. You know, the important story in Zen mind, beginner's mind of the cows in the field. Suzuki Roshi says, give your, give them a big field and just watch them. And that is exactly what Steve did with me. In my sitting group up here now, there's a rancher and we were talking about that story and he said, that's a really good idea. He said, somebody tied one of my cows right next to a tree and it strangled itself. <laughs> so give your cows a big field. And Suzuki Roshi says, the worst thing you can do to another person is try to control them. Suzuki Roshi says, and what Steve did is just watch. All my years of working in chaplaincy, I see my friend Helen here, and she knows about this too. Meg is probably here somewhere too. For probably the first five years of being a chaplain, the imposter syndrome was so deep. I, it was just, what am I supposed to do? Especially since I'm not a Christian, I can't whip out a prayer. What am I supposed to do? What we're supposed to do, what my patients wanted, what I wanted, maybe what you want is to be seen, is to have someone say, I see you, you are there. Maybe more extreme when you're a dying old lady all alone in the terrible nursing home, have someone come by once a week and say, I see you. But I think Zen teachers and students too, not, you should change. <laughs> Not, here's what's wrong with you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever thanked anyone for telling me what's wrong with me. So that's how Steve treated me. I like to, I was asked to write a piece about him for Lion's Roar when he died. And it starts with, he forgave me before he even met me. Because I was out of control. Terrible problems with anger. I was always having fights with other people. Had a big fight with Blanche, right? She fired me. And he just let me be. After he became abbot, we went through Dharma transmission at Tassajara, which was ecstasy. It was really Dharma transmission ceremony is great. That's this brown robe. This means my teacher said, you're a teacher. It was great. And after that, it was really hard to get to him. He was the abbot. Sometimes when he first became abbot, he would book himself. So he would overbook himself so extremely. We'd be in Dokasan and his eyes would start rolling back in his head and he'd start falling asleep. I'd say, are you falling asleep? He's like, no. He worked himself really hard. And then after, it was months and months before I could get to see him. <clears throat> so when I did, 
I said, I said what I've said to other men in my life. <laughs> I said, when, when you don't see me, when I'm not right in front of you, do you think about me? And Steve said, no. <laughs> and about a year later, we had another dopasan, which turned out to be our last dopasan before he was diagnosed. We didn't know that. And we had our Dharma questions. And then I reminded him of that exchange. And Steve said, just because I'm not thinking about you doesn't mean I'm not helping you. He gave what's known as the gratitude talk two days after he was diagnosed. He was scheduled to give the talk at Green Gulch, and he gave this amazing talk called the gratitude talk. In the gratitude talk, he said, <clears throat> the tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. The sky is as much a part of me as my eyelashes. And the sound of the ocean is as much a part of me as the sound of my own breathing. He meant it. Steve understood Indra's net, interconnection. He understood that we are not separate beings. The tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. He understood that I don't have to be thinking about someone to be helping them. So, of course, since his death, I've gotten a lot of comfort from that. I did tell him after he died, he didn't have to go to that much trouble to teach me about grief. <laughs> but he did. He turned me into a good grief counselor. It was hard. In the three months from diagnosis to death, I had a lot of access to him. He, as with so many people who are dying, all the extra fell away. He was so pure, and he was purely loved. And those were great encounters. We did some ceremonies together. I asked him in a formal way, what shall I tell Zen students of the future about your teaching? He said, endless inquiry. And when you realize you've drifted away, return to endless inquiry. That's it. Pay attention. That was his teaching. Zen Center is kind of a priest factory, and I look at all of us. What are we? What are we doing? I can still be critical. I say, where are the Zen masters? Are we? Where are the Zen masters? We have a few. Kokio. I just did a Kenzoe with Kokio. There's a Zen master. Norman is a Zen master. Steve was a legit Zen master. And I'm a 
I'm a lucky person that I've been uh, so close to him for so long. <clears throat> I asked my Zen teacher how I could bear my past. I had done too much harm and too much harm had been done to me. Was I that same person now? Could I forgive her? Could I forgive them? Everything that's happened in your life, everything that's happened in your life has conspired to create you as you are now, he said. Accept yourself as you are, and all other questions will fall away. It's pretty good, huh? Everything that's happened in your life has conspired to create you as you are now. Accept yourself as you are, and all other questions will fall away. Very unusual in life to have an experience of unconditional love. What better gift could we find in a Zendo? What else are we doing? <laughs> but letting our hearts be broke open, broken open, so we can truly love one another, love one another back to health. So that's my talk on suffering and the end of suffering. <laughs> we can review the Eightfold Path later. That's my talk on if you want to stop suffering, stop creating duality. Drop the story of being a permanent separate self, of there being two things in the universe me and everything else, drop it, drop it. My tree, my the tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. You are as much a part of me as I am. This has got to be a way to live in this sad, sad world. This is how we're going to take care of each other. So there's time for questions and answers, and thank you so much. I obviously have really enjoyed this opportunity. And yeah, I'm waiting for the final proof to come back on the book. I think it's done. It'll be out soon. And it has my stories. It has Jim's stories. <laughs> Grateful Dad, Jerry Garcia. <laughs> thank you very much. Do I do the closing chat now, Jim, or questions and answers? We can do we can do questions and answers now, and we'll do the closing chant in a little while. Uh, cool, Galen. Galen, can you unmute yourself? And I'm not sure I understand your question. I just wanted to make sure I heard you perfectly. And you said something along the lines of to end suffering. If you want to end suffering, stop creating duality. Yeah, that's right. I'm quoting Suzuki Roshi. Beautiful. Thank you. You're very welcome. So Michelle. Oh, hi. <laughs> I'll just take control here. <laughs> so my my student Michelle has raised her hand. 
Hi, Ren. Thanks for the talk. I really enjoyed learning more about Steve. Uh, I have a question. You were mentioning um, Zen masters, and is there, I don't know, as a definition or a yeah definition of Zen master versus a Zen? There's just me being judgmental. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We can say if someone is is addressed by Roshi, we could say that that indicates that a number of people feel that that person is what we could call a Zen master, because Roshi is a is an honorific. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Michelle. Anybody in the room? Hi, Jim. Hi. <clears throat> My question is, um, uh, where or how is the anger now after oh. your many years of practice? Well, it's a really good question. And um, I like to ask people who come to sit with me, what, what, what do you want? Why are you doing this? I like to say... Are you here because you want to be enlightened? Because that's what I would have said. People say, I want to be calm. I don't want to be all this anxiety and depression. I want a peaceful mind. I can, I, I, I think it's slow, but it works. I, I am able to get stuck behind the old lady in the banged-up Kia going 15 miles an hour and relax. <laughs> and I I haven't lost my temper for a long, long time. All we can do is look in the rearview mirror and say, oh, it seems to be working. Yeah, the anger seems to be, what's to be angry about? Life is so beautiful. It's so precious. I turned 80 this year life gets very sweet because i don't think i have that much time left so it's a good question and i think i can honestly say i haven't got i don't i'm not i'm not overwhelmed by that emotion anymore thank you it's not an academic question for me one one uh time there was a reunion at San Francisco Zen Center, and I saw some people that I'd practiced with at Tassajara. And uh, I don't know how this came around, but um, this person said to me, I just remember how angry you were. And uh, it really, uh, it was really a helpful comment to hear, you know, some years later, that that's how I was perceived. And I, I, I uh, copped to that that's how I was at that time. Did you know uh, it at that time? uh, No. I was just in it. I was just in it. I mean, I I regretted it when it would surface, um, but uh, I wasn't uh, really in in control of it. Yep. Uh, When, When we're really in it, we think they are actually wrong. 
and and I am right in my righteous anger. Yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah, that's called delusion. Yeah. Here's some. There's another question coming to you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Dora Lee, and I guess I, I was struck because you said this several times. I was so lucky. And I, I don't know, that really touched me. I thought, wow, um, are we all so lucky in some way? Or, or what, what, do you do, think? What, what do you mean by that? I'd like to think that. I mean, because, you know, you, you had a door closed for you and then another door opened with Blanche and then Steve and... That's a kind of rhythm, I guess, that I have experienced in my own life and seen other people that, you know, what may sound like, you know, a deep loss or a hurt or a failure or whatever, it seems to open into something else. I'm in a mood to say that anyone who has encountered the Dharma is, by definition, lucky. Yes, I, um, I'm in recovery. I got sober when I was 35. And I remember when I was, God, I don't know, in my 20s, kind of wondering, wow, my luck seemed to have run out. So I think I finished my bad luck period with the drinking. I'm not much for the universe giving punishments and rewards. But I do think that those of us who've dedicated our life to helping others get something back. I really do. But my luck with Steve, it was luck that I met Steve in the first place. It was luck that I was in his first Jukai group. I was his first Jukai, so it was, that was, that was incredible. That's a lifetime worth of luck. And I, and I do, yes, I do think I'm lucky. I hope you do too. Why not? <laughs> Let's be lucky. I tell you, yes. every time I buy a lottery ticket and I don't win, I'm surprised. Like, what? But that might be good luck to not win. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, let's let's stay lucky. Todd, sweetheart, talk to me. It's so nice to see you, Todd Stein. Todd and I were at City. Hello, City hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, I have a question, but I wanted first to say um, I didn't know you were angry. All that time I never saw you angry and it's uh, it just struck me as oh, really? I didn't, I had never noticed. So when I was when I was ten, so at City Center. Well, I wasn't in the kitchen at that time, so potentially <laughs> that could be the, the reason. But, yeah. Um, well, my question is: so you have been in chaplaincy for what twenty years or more? I was and, a chaplain for twelve years. Yeah, I'm retired now. Oh, twelve years. Yeah. In in that time, I'm curious. 
because I'm getting older myself and I thought I would ask, has it taught you anything about aging and dying that you could share? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. It's it was it was the greatest because it's it's so stripped bare essential intimacy no second chances help people need help when i was i had to do a one year hospital residency and when i was working in the hospital very early on i was on call cuz they make the they make the students do the on call the paid chaplains are tucked into their beds <laughs> so i'm called to the icu in the middle of the night totally incompetent what and it was huge because where i arrived was i'm here to remind everyone that there's a spiritual side to death the guy was dying the wife was throwing herself on him screaming the nurses are around the chaplain reminds people there's a spiritual side to death i'm going to say out in the world a priest wearing robes or not can do the same thing but those encounters i would get very close to these old ladies that some of my old ladies in the early days before medicare really changed things before it really became only about money i would be able to visit old ladies for a couple of years you know we'd have easter dinner together we'd have thanksgiving dinner together these were wonderful encounters these people showed me what it is to be human and you know what i saw in steve was the value of just being kind and that's what i was able to learn to do with my old ladies you're the chaplain be kind what a great teaching that is for reaching the end of life i would talk to people about death I would ask them if they could replace fear with curiosity. I would talk about how we're all afraid of change and death is the ultimate change. But what if they could be curious? I got that from Robert Aitken. So don't I hope. I mean, I don't know, right, Todd? I don't know when my time comes am I able to, going to be able to oh, what's this? My goodness, I don't know. but i but i hope so and and i also learned about aging that <laughs> oh god something's going to happen and you just get as ready as you can something's going to happen really try not to trip and fall down and break a bone aging in america with no family and not much money not mm. so good Right. So I'm enjoying life while I can here in beautiful Eureka, California. Is that enough? Oh, thank you. No, I love the uh 
curiosity. Just be curious. It's good. I, I, I heard Aitken give a talk and he said his wife Anne was dying and that's how she was doing it. Never forgot that. Mm. Yeah. Thank curiosity you. saves us. Thank you, sweetheart. Idea yeah. family. Thanks. Galen. Well, hi. Um, back to the anger, actually. I was wondering how you might work with anger um, if, you know, it's logical and makes sense. Um, like, you know, what to kind of, okay, how to, how to work with it. If it's like really, like makes your blood just, Oil. <laughs> yep. So anger is a great teacher. Emotions that are that big, they are that big for a reason. They are trying, they're trying to tell us something with something, you know, this, this practice is called the middle way. So we don't ignore, nor do we allow these large emotions to overwhelm us? We have to find the middle. What I think is so important about these teachings is this one. We don't ignore it. Don't try to suppress it. Don't, as a woman, try to pretend you're not angry or you won't be pretty or whatever the hell, right? Mm-hmm. So probably... First, to be able to express it in a place where it's safe. So if you have a friend who you can talk to or a therapist, I've had more therapists than I can count. God bless them all. We have to, we have to acknowledge it. But yes, we have to not be overtaken by it and not, and not yelling and throwing things and stuff like that. That's, it really is kind of counting to 10. There's a phrase in AA, restraint, restraint of tongue and pen. When they invented the car phone, shoot, every time I realized someone was pissing me off on the spot, I could call them up and tell them this did not go well. <laughs> so just if, if we can find a way you know that I heard that the antidote to anger. This might okay. This might help. I heard that the antidote to anger is patience. So it's that building up of that stress of that emotion, right? You get a little bug in your head. He done me wrong. He should this. He should that. He needs to. And it's all building, building like pressure cooker, right? And then, boom. The thing about Zazen, about a lot of Zazen, Galen, really a lot of Zazen, is we develop the ability to watch our own mind. We develop some room around those thoughts. Without the gift of Zazen and everything else, we think those thoughts are real. We think that's us. And we think we have to act on them. 
It's not true. It's absolutely not true. So zazen, okay, zazen, and a good friend to talk to. Mm -hmm. Patience. Not ignoring. Not not turning away, but not letting it build up until it overwhelms you. That's what I know about it. It's really hard. Anger is a really hard one. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, if I could go on a little bit more um, about anger and just, I had kind of a piggyback question, but we can move on. I'm sure there's other people that have things to say. Let's hear your piggyback question. Well, okay. So you mentioned you had therapists and I recently uh, got had a therapist for the first time ever and in my adult life. And it's, so what, what do you do when you're a therapist? <laughs> Actually, like you're really anger, angry and you have every reason to be angry. And the therapist has even acknowledged that you have every reason to be angry with him. And it's someone in a position of authority that, that made a serious violation. And you expose yourself to them. Like how much you work, like, so you, you, you trusted that this person was safe. How, how would you maybe just maybe too much? Maybe. If, 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 if a therapist makes a mistake, then you have something to work with. If a therapist committed a serious violation, like a, a, and you, then a you find another therapist. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're in, we're in that same territory because it's up to you to figure out which of those has happened. I would, I would think the therapist had committed a serious violation just because I wanted to get out of there because I didn't want to be vulnerable. My therapist, the, the therapist who took with me, the therapist who I was with for years was Sylvia Borstein, who was a great therapist. And after some years, Sylvia said, yes, you're having a, you're ha yes, it's good. You can talk through your stuff and whatnot. <laughs> she said, but what's really happening is you are having an experience where you're able to trust someone. So that's a pretty good marker for a good therapist. And if you can't trust, but don't don't just don't just dump the guy because he hurt your feelings. Oh no, it's much bigger than that. I wouldn't be bringing it up if otherwise. Okay, then dump the guy. <laughs> Definitely dumping. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anyone in the room? The guy in the yellow shirt. Boy, a skunk just sprayed here in Eureka. <laughs> my name is Matthew, and my question, I have a, an elderly um, gay gentleman who I, I care for, and he's dying, and he's become um, very fixated on a, a, a lover he had that ended badly. 
and he's just filled with anxiety and he's just overwhelmed with emotion and I don't know what to do for him. I don't know how to, I, I feel out of my depth and um, I, I, I want to I be there for him, but I don't, yeah. uh, any words of wisdom that you would have would um, be very helpful. I missed the word. He's what is it that he's fixated on, Matthew? Uh, there was a, a lover that he had who. Oh uh, yeah. Who left. There was no closure. He left. Yeah. He lives up in the hills. He's very. He's actually close. Um, and my uh, f- my friend is attempting to contact him and uh, hired private detectives and oh. uh, just very very overwhelmed emotionally uh, yeah. with this. Uh, with this with this man and uh, but I don't know what to what to do other than to just be there for him and and let him talk um, but it's just really uh, it's very difficult uh, to watch him go through this and struggle with all this emotion and anxiety and not get any kind of release yeah. so I don't know if any as I said he's has congestive heart failure and he's working through that as well so yeah, yeah it's a it's a really difficult time for him well, you can't fix it, right? Let's start with that. And you can't control him. So, so that is exactly he he needs to be seen and heard and witnessed. It's this the way that we the way that we show others our suffering, and actually in a situation like that for. In my experience, the hard part is having to hear that stuff over and over and over. It's really hard. And if I can, at that time, if I can say to myself, he is showing me his suffering, instead of, I got to make him stop both for himself and for me because there's nothing you can do and when people have COPD it's hard to get enough oxygen the heart is too weak to pump the oxygen so the brain isn't getting nourished and they and it's not unusual for them to be fixated for them to be confused it's not unusual at all. So I'd say if you are able to witness, if you're able to bear witness to his difficulty, that's what you can do to help. Thank you. Anybody else? You're very welcome. Are we done? Are we done, my dear Valley Stream? Maybe next year I'll come and be with you. I do want to say one more thing. I want to say what Barry Crawford is doing with the Simplicity Zen podcast. Barry Crawford is the national treasure. It's unbelievable. I can't, how do you... I don't have time to listen to all of them. How do you have time to record them? I really appreciate what you're doing. Really, really, Barry. It's huge. 
Thank you. And I'm not just saying this, but you are one of my favorite guests. So thank you. It's it's so funny to hear your voice because I listen to it when I take my walks doing the interviews. So, yeah, thanks for the compliments, sweetheart. <laughs> when I hear that, it doesn't sound like me. <laughs> really? That's not me. That's not me. Again, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this very much. It was mentioned about Donna, and I'll come right and say that on PayPal, my first name is Renshin, R-E-N-S-H-I-N, Renshin at Gmail is who I am on PayPal, and I appreciate Now I'm an old lady on a fixed income. I really appreciate Donna. (laughs) Thank you, Renshin. Thank you. Shall we close?